It has taken a lot of work to get to this point. I know that the chairs are like so sporadic. And uh, man, we, just, we came in the speaker's work today. We were like, praise God. I mean, any, anything is a win. There's just so much uh, going on this morning. It's been hard to get in this facility. But um, thank you, everybody, who came and helped. And, and really, we could use your help uh, on Wednesday. It takes forever to put these chairs together. And we have 300 more to do. So um, Wednesday at 6 o'clock, we could r- really use your help. Thank you. Everybody who's worked. Uh, let's, let's go to God's Word. We are in, um, we're in John today. What we've been walking through for the last couple of weeks and will for the next few weeks is the last week of Jesus. I'm going through the Gospels. So the Bible is in two sections. There's an Old Testament and a New Testament, okay? So the Old Testament is the story of God creating the world, choosing a people, promising that a Messiah would come through those people, Right? He comes, that's Jesus. And so that brings us into the New Testament. And in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are eyewitness accounts or firsthand surveys of the life of Jesus. And so all of them talk about the last week of Jesus. In fact, almost half of each of those books is just the last week of Jesus. And so the things that he was wrapping up in his last week. We're honing in on that. We've got something good. Let's pray about this real quick. Father, we love you. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for your faithfulness. We praise you for your goodness. God, I pray that you will speak to us through your word today. Empty me and use me to speak your word, and we ask this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Okay, I'm in John chapter 12, verse 20, and all the scripture will be on the screen. Don't worry, if you don't have your Bible with you, uh, that's okay. You don't have to be. Nobody expected you to walk in here an expert, okay? In fact, you may not know why you're here. We were singing a song, All My Life You Have Been Faithful, and you may question that. You may wonder because you don't know why you're here. But we're going to get to some of that today. I just want you to know that if you think you walked into some museum for perfect people, boy, were you mistaken. You walked in to some sort of cleanup on a train wreck, okay? And, and, and this is what we are doing is testifying that despite my best efforts to derail, the Father has brought me back. And so today may be your re-entry on the rail. And uh, we, we hope that is so. But we are serving as believers in Jesus who came to save us from our sins. Not as perfect people, not as anyone better than anyone else, but those who have found a God who is good, who restores, who sometimes, and this week we feel this, does things that we don't understand, but when we trust it and walk through it, it works out a whole lot better than what we've got going on. And so that's what you've walked in today. Chapter 12, verse 20. You're coming into Jesus. Jesus is speaking, and and he's really gaining in popularity. And in verse 20, now some Greeks. Now, Jesus is is Jewish. So if you've got a blonde-haired, blue-eyed Jesus in mind, we are reading a Middle Eastern ancient text about Jewish people. Greeks come in. This is like from the old movies you watch. 
Greeks were among those who went up to worship at the festival. So they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and requested of him, Sir, we want to see Jesus. You're like, I don't understand any of that. Here's what you need to pull out of that. People are starting to come from all over looking for Jesus. His name is out there. His miracles are out there. They are seeking him out. Philip went and told Andrew. Then Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. The Greeks are here now. The dam is about to break. Jesus up to this point has healed people, has done miraculous things, and said, shh. And you read that and wonder why. It's because Jesus understood the toes he would be stepping on. He understood how much authority he has and how much authority the the, the religious leaders of the time wanted and he knew that if he got out too quick before he finished what he was doing they would kill him very soon and now the Greeks are coming Jesus is approaching or, or into his third year of ministry and it's about to go down because people are starting to come from all over this is going to catch attention it can no longer be contained okay verse 23 Jesus replied to them so they came and said, Jesus, Greeks are here and they want to see you. Verse 23, Jesus replied to them, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Whoa, if you're one of the 12 that are following Jesus, you're like, fame. And I'm not saying that that was their heart, that that's why they're in this. I think that they're good men. Now we know that they were flawed. They even talk about their own sins in the Bible, which is one of the reasons we can trust what they wrote because they confessed their sins. Because if you're out there acting like you're super righteous, better than everybody else, nobody believes you or trusts you. So uh, we trust it because they told about their own sins. But part of them goes, wow, we're about to be really important, right? Jesus said, it's time for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now, keep in mind that the Jews were waiting for a Messiah who's going to be a political figure, who's going to come and defeat Rome. And these guys are going to be pumped. And then verse 24, truly I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains by itself. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. And I think this is the point where disciples in the back, and immediately you see a hand shoot up. Question. <laughs> what? Uh, Let's go back to the part about the Son of Man must be glorified and we're your posse. What is all this dying stuff? Verse 25, the one who loves his life will lose it and the one who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. At this point, they're taking notes. What? We came here to get a life that we love. Not to get a life that we hate. This is, Jesus, this is nonsensical. Verse 23 has us feeling like. And then verse 24 just becomes very confusing. What does that mean to, and, and where have I heard that? To die to yourself so that I can come back something better. Anybody know? This is, this is baptism. This is what we're talking about. Speaking of baptism, there was one guy who's so famous for baptizing that literally we made it his last name. His last name is The Baptist. 
Not the, the. We're in Texas. John the Baptist. He used to teach this. Go with me to John chapter 3, verse 30. It's all going to be on the screen. Uh, this is what John says. Uh, John also was baptizing in Anon near Salem because there was plenty of water there. People were coming and being baptized since John had not yet been thrown into prison. Then a dispute. Did you notice that? Since John had not yet been thrown into prison. He's going to get thrown into prison later. Hold on, we'll get there. A dispute rose between John's disciples and a Jew about purification. So they came to John and told him, Rabbi, the one you testified about and, and who was with you across the Jordan is baptizing and everyone is going to him. John responded, no one can receive anything unless it has been given to him from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said I am not the Messiah, but I've been sent ahead of him. He who has the bride is the groom. But the groom's friend who stands by and listens for him rejoices greatly at the groom's voice. So this joy of mine is complete. He must increase and I must decrease. John knew the assignment. John knew what he had signed up for. He was a herald. He was a proclaimer about someone else. It was never about John. And so now that the one that he is proclaiming is here, it's no longer about John. It's about the one that he's proclaiming. And this is your lot in life in many instances. God is going to use you to come into somebody's life and proclaim somebody else. Stop trying to recreate your faith in the way that you came to Jesus in somebody else's life and let the Holy Spirit do that. You be the herald. You be the proclaimer. If you want somebody else to live out your faith, you're going to be very frustrated. It's not going to happen in the same way that you don't have my marriage. In the same way that I don't have your work relationships. You're going to have a completely different relationship with the Father because we're all completely different. And guess what? He speaks your love language and the person to the left and the right and the front and the back of you. So we don't try to recreate this. We just usher people to the Father and he takes over. And John says at this point, I must decrease and he must increase. But see, Jesus' disciples are not quite getting this because Jesus have to, having to tell them, if you want to love your life, you must lose it. Because here's what the disciples are going to find. <laughs> that being the Messiah is too much pressure for them. I want to tell you that. You're not Jesus, and trying to play that role is going to be too much pressure for you. The weight of the world, and I hope this liberates you, the weight of the world is not on your shoulders. The weight of someone's salvation is not on your shoulders. God has called us here to bring this city of people that he loves back to him, but no one here's salvation is on your shoulders. Being obedient to do what the Father told you to do, that weight is on your shoulders, and that's enough. Jesus says, come to me, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He says, just be obedient to me and I'll take care of it. You just plant seeds and I'll make them grow. So hopefully that's liberating to you. Let's, uh, let's keep going. Back to John here. John knew what he signed up for. And John is later going to be thrown into prison on some bogus, trumped up charges. He is going to be thrown in prison for doing the right thing. But John had a luxury in prison. 
that very few of us get. I think this is going to hit deep for some people. John had to go to prison, but at least John knew why he had to go to prison. Let me explain. You have been through trials, maybe not as bad as John, maybe you've not been through what John went through, what Paul went through, but you've been through trials and it was terrible. And your question to God was not always take me out of it. We ask that and that's okay, that's okay, maybe he will. But here's what we ask, God would you at least tell me why this is happening to me? Can I get an amen anybody? Isn't that like if I knew this had a purpose, I could at least endure it? Somebody amen? If I just understood why? See, John had a luxury that few of us get. He knew why. Because it was prophesied about him in the Old Testament, in Malachi and again in Isaiah, that he was going to be a herald, that he was going to proclaim that the Messiah must come, and people were starting to follow him. And he knew that he had to get out of the way so that the Son of God could be lifted up. John knew why. Our problem is we don't know why. Because we can't see it through a spiritual lens. And so we back out of the process because we don't have faith to reach into the unknown. Life happens, we don't know why. So we go with our plan instead of God's because we can see our plan. And his plan is scary sometimes, it requires faith. And sometimes you gotta reach under a rock and you don't know what's there. Y'all were like, that's weird. You don't understand what I'm talking about. Let me, let me, let me give you a quick story. I'm married the absolute love of my life. I'm crazy about my wife. Uh, my, my love language is always kind of, uh, I say my love language. Well, my love language is tacos, but my other love language is, uh, is, is joking around. And so I joke around with my wife a lot, and I do that, and a lot of people don't understand my humor, and they're like, he's a jerk. And uh, it's, I'm like, no, I'm funny. You just don't get it, right? But uh, I married a, a beautiful, beautiful woman. But along with that woman, came three brothers, one just as interesting as the next. <laughs> the oldest one is a bear cub that we call buckwheat. I think I have, uh, don't, don't show the picture yet, don't show the picture yet because I, I gotta explain. So uh, Buck is an avid hunter and an avid fisherman. Buck has forgotten more about fishing than I've ever known. All I know is I like to catch big fish, but I don't know how. And Buck said, I can tell you how. All you got to do is dive in the lake and look for rocks to reach your hand under. Fill around until you fill a fish. Put your hand in its mouth. If it's big enough, you put your arm in its mouth and you snatch it out. And... I thought, I like to catch big fish, I'll do it. So I go under, I'm holding my breath, and I'm telling you, I can hold my breath for a good 23 seconds <laughs> before I absolutely panic. 
And so I'm underwater, and I feel this rock, and there's a hole, and I'm like, I'm going to stick my hand in it. And all of a sudden, my body didn't have control of my hand. Because I'm like, I've been around this lake my whole life. You know how many snakes I've seen here? You know how many beaver? You know how many Nutri-Rat? And right over my shoulder is a turtle with a head the size of a softball. I'm not putting my hand under here. And so I go back to my brother-in-law, and I'm like, you're nuts. And he's like, no, dude, just stick your hand in the hole and reach around, drop your purse, and quit being Nancy. And I can make myself do it. Until finally, this joker starts showing me pictures. Show, me, show, show us, show us a, a quick picture. This is, this is Buck and, and his boy. Go ahead, and, go ahead and do the next one. And these are not his biggest ones. Uh, I just wanted to get Carson in there as well. And Buck starts showing me that, and I'm like, i got to have one of those fish. And Buck can do it. That's fine. But Buck eats nails for breakfast and stuff like that. So, I, you know, whatever. I'm not competing there. But, man, when Carson starts pulling them out, okay, i got to do this. And so I go with Buck, and I reach, and I reach, and I reach. And finally, I was so inept at it, Buck finally called a posse of guys together to all find me a fish. And uh, so this week, I finally got to reach my hand under and pull out a couple catfish. And this is interesting, and this has nothing to do with the sermon. I just want to tell you this part. <laughs> you know, there's different kinds of catfish, and many of you can take one glance, and you know exactly what you're looking at. I, I don't have that. I've caught fish my whole life. I just didn't know what it was. I'm like, it'll eat. I'll eat it. I know what a carp looks like. I throw those back. Everything else, I eat it. And Buck said, if it's a channel cat, it'll bite you. Just hang in there. He says, no, I'm, I'm, I kid you not. This is his instruction. He's like, in the beginning, it's hard to tell that it's not a turtle. You just got to, you know, mind over matter. You just got to stay in there. And I'm like, catfish don't have teeth. Those suckers draw blood. I mean, they hurt. I had one just, I mean, didn't even cut me. Just mashed my thumbnail down so far. Just blood coming all out from my finger from an undisclosed location. I have no idea where the blood's even coming from. And uh, anyways, there's a dude back here in Mississippi standing right there. Go ahead and hold your hand up so y'all know who's nuts. They, were, they went one time. I, this has nothing to do with my sermon. I'm just talking right now. I've got a microphone and you don't. So, <laughs> There's a nutri-rat. Y'all know what a nutri-rat is? A beaver with no tail. But it still chews trees down. So you know what a finger is to that thing? A snack. It's a goldfish. And, and Buck reaches under and said, ooh, that's fair. There's a nutri-rat under there. Don't do it. Chris, we call him Mississippi. He says he'll move over. And he goes under there and gets a catfish out from under a rock right beside a nutri-rat. So... If you think that you walked into a place of sanity, you are wrong. There are some people in here who are absolutely nuts. But I had to have the faith to reach my hand into a scary place. And I didn't have the faith until I saw that it works. And I'll tell you that 
We see some spiritual giants out there. I think this is distracting. Y'all can take that away. <laughs> There's some spiritual giants out there, and we say, yeah, that's them. But when a 10-year-old boy, 11-year-old boy, is pulling fish out, I can do it. God is going to ask you to hold your breath and close your eyes and to reach into some scary places. And he says, there's bigger fish under here. This is better than what you're doing. It's just scarier, and you're going to have to trust. He always wants what is good for his glory, but also he wants what is for your good. And Jesus didn't just tell us to do this. He did it himself. He was so nervous about the lot in his life. He was so worried about his purpose because he knew that he came as a sacrificial lamb. That's why in his last week when he prays in the garden, he says, Father, let this cup pass from me, but not my will but yours. He knew that he had to be the sacrificial lamb and he's worried because he knows that he's going to have to die a horrible death. But he says, if it's what you want, I'll do it. Because I understand. Church, there's a lot of things that we go through and we ask God why, but when you look through a spiritual lens, you probably understand why. There's a lot of people who are in here. And give me a little shout if you never thought that on 4th of July weekend you would be in a church service. Can I get a little whoop whoop from you? Uh huh. Some of you were like, <laughs> I can't believe I am here right now. And, and, and some of you are looking around like, I can't believe they're here either. <laughs> and praise, praise God for that. But it was probably pain that brought you to it. And we say, God, I don't understand why I'm going through this pain. But in hindsight, now we see. I want you to understand that one day you'll be in heaven and you go... I can't believe I didn't see it. But now you don't. Now you can't see it. You just got to close your eyes, stick your hand under the rock, and feel around for fish. Because it is beyond you. Verse 26 through 28. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Where I am, there, there my servant also will be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now my soul is troubled. What should I say? Father, save me from this hour. But this is why I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice from heaven came from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. I read this a couple times and it didn't make a lot of sense to me. Let me reread it. If anyone, this is Jesus speaking, and I think maybe he said it like this. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now, my soul is troubled. What should I say? Father, save me from this hour? But that is why I came this hour. He's telling what do you want me to do? Back out now? I can't back out now. This is why I came. Church, I don't like this. I'm not speaking this over anyone's life. 
I don't want bad for you. I don't want bad for me. But maybe it's why you're here. John the Baptist didn't necessarily live a great life of popularity. Now with the common folk he did, but everybody else wanted him so much so that they got him and they stuck him in prison until they cut his head off. But he understood why. Jesus came to be your sacrificial lamb, to sacrifice himself to pay for the sins of the people who would murder him. But he understood why. He's not asking us to do something he wouldn't do. He went first. He went first because he held the Father's will over his. And he said, Father, as long as it's what you want, I'll do it. It doesn't matter why. Because he was a servant to the Father. Now I'm going to read you something that's going to hit hard. It's kind of a truth bomb. I don't mean this like a, <clears throat> okay, but, but, but maybe this will be helpful to you. This is probably the least palatable parable in the entire Bible. Probably the hardest pill to swallow of all the parables in the New Testament. Luke 17, 7. Which one of you, having a servant, tending sheep or plowing, will say to him when he comes in from the field, come at once and sit down to eat? <laughs> in other words, which one of you is going to hire a dude who's going to have a servant, and when he's going to plow all day and when he gets home, you're going to be like, oh, let me wait on you hand and foot. That's not the way a servant works, is it? Instead, will he not tell him, prepare something for me to eat, get ready and serve me while I eat and drink. Later, you can eat and drink. <laughs> Does he think the servant, because he did what was commanded? In the same way, when you have done all that you were commanded, you should say we're unworthy servants. We've only done our duty. <laughs> I think that's the hardest pill to swallow in the whole Bible. It might be the least palatable parable in there. And here's the reason why. Because I am so used to calling on God in my time of need that I view him as my servant instead of me viewing myself as his servant. He's not my servant. And if we will make this little mind flip, if we will change this in our heart, we'll understand what it is to follow Jesus. He is our master, but lucky for you, he is a fair, just, good master. Let me just throw this out. This is a little tidbit. God is love. God does not have love. God is love. It's, an, it's, it's inseparable. It's not an attribute of his. He is love. But he's God. If he were a God of hate, what could you do about it? He would still be God. What are you going to do? Challenge him to a duel? Did we not hit the jackpot that we have a God of love? He is a good master. And he has a will for you. He didn't just willy-nilly make you. You may wonder why you're here, but he does not. And I'm going to tell you this part. He can't wait to reveal it to you. Anybody in here ever drive an old tractor with no power steering? Set still. Can you turn the wheel? No, not without one of those little knobs on there. Drive it. 
It turns so easy, sometimes it turns when you don't want it to. You're on one of those old Ford tractors with no power steering, and the front tire hits a rock and just breaks both wrists. Some of you are like, I have no idea what he's talking about. Some of you are like, I get that. I mean, it just snaps them off. Why? Because when you're moving, you're easier to steer. God did not make you and go, what am I going to do with this? He has a purpose and a plan, and he made you just for it with all the raw material that you need. Now, you've got to hone it. You've got to craft it, but you've got all that you need. Now, back to John chapter 12, verse 27. This is what Jesus said. He said, now my soul is troubled. What should I say? Father, save me from this hour, but that is why I came to this hour. It shows that he knew his purpose and he held the Father's will over his own comfort. He held the Father's will over his own comfort. I don't always do that. Y'all, we worked like crazy on this building all week. Definitely times that I grumbled under my breath. I was worried about my comfort. We're all going to fall short of this, but Jesus never did. He always held the Father's will first to the point of death. You have stuff that God is going to allow you to go through. Well, why is God doing this? That's the fall of man. When sin entered into the world, so did death, so did disease, so did disparity. And sometimes we are allowed to go through it. Why? We don't know. Sometimes we know. But here's what I do know. If you will be faithful, God will use it for his glory and for his good. Let me say that again. For his glory and for your good. 1 Corinthians 15, 50 through 58. I'm just going to read this real quick. This is Paul writing a letter to the church. I think this is going to hit with us. What I am saying, brothers and sisters, is this. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor can corruption inherit incorruption. What does that mean? Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is already here because like the Holy Spirit is is with us and so we are under the laws and the precepts and we have things from the kingdom of God but we are not yet standing in the presence of God. We are not yet standing in front of the king. So the kingdom of God is like already here but it's not in full. It's It's already here but it's not yet complete, right? And understand when we are complete in the kingdom of God, this carbon, this flesh will no longer be with us. We are foreigners. We are aliens. We are in a foreign land as an ambassador for Jesus. Our spirit will go. That part of you that says, I still can, and then you, that hamstring that you pull doing it, okay, that's the body you leave behind, thank God. It is your spirit. It is that ageless value inside of you that God created and knew before he ever formed you in his mother's womb that will inherit the kingdom of God. It is not our bodies. This is God's to do whatever he wants with. And I don't understand a lot of what he's doing right now. Listen, I am telling you a mystery, verse 51. We will not all fall asleep, but we will all be changed. We're going to write that over the nursery door. I think that should be our, 
our nursery passage. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. 52. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we will be changed. I am so worried about this body, and God is just like, <sighs> I'm still at the bait shop getting my kicks from dipping minnows out of the trough. And God is like, put your hand under the rock. There's a 50-pounder under there. I'm worried about this. He has eternity for me. For this corruptible body must be clothed with incorruptibility, and this mortal body must be clothed with immortality. 54, when this corruptible body is clothed with incorruptibility and this mortal body is clothed with immortality, then the saying that is written will take place. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where death is your victory? Where death is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, be steadfast and movable, always excelling in the Lord's work because you know that the labor in the Lord is not in vain. One way or another, you're not leaving this place with your body. Your spirit will be what goes on. We live for him, and let me tell you, that's liberating. It's not about my body. It's not about my comfort. It's not necessarily about when I leave this place either. I think most of you, especially if you have a little salt in with your pepper, if you have a little age under your belt, it's not so much about when I will go, but did I make a difference while I was here? I'm not worried about leaving this earth. I'm worried about living on this earth with no purpose. My fear is that my life means nothing. But you, O oh Christian, do not have that fear. You get to join the men and women for thousands of years who have sacrificed their body knowing that there was a promise far beyond the grave of where they would go and they counted themselves honored to suffer for Jesus because this is not why they're here. It was for something else, and their lives mattered. And they hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Your life matters. When you serve God, you have something. Listen to me. Look, look. You have something for everyone's eternity. Man, it is good work to save a life. I'm praying for some doctors right now. My friend's life is on the line, and I'm praying for her, and I'm praying for those doctors, and I won't stop. It's good to save a life, but to save an eternity. To, to introduce a child back to their father when they've been estranged. To bring somebody who has no purpose into a life full of purpose, that's good work. 
And if you are a Christian, you are commissioned. I want every one of you to imagine that you are kneeling. I knight you. You are a priest. You got to go. You got to go minister to somebody. You've got to lead somebody to Jesus. It is your calling. It is not, nobody in here has to go, I just don't know why God put me on this earth. Because you have people all around you who need to know the Father. Because he loves you and he wants you. And because he's got people that he wants you to bring to him. You have so much purpose. And let me tell you this. I've said it a hundred times. And I'm going to say it a lot more. To somebody in this place today, you are the most important person in the room. Now you can get super religious and say, well, the Holy Spirit has the personality. And he's the most important person in the room. And I resent how you're talking to me right now. No, no, no. God has always told us that he is going to do work through us. Not all of his work through us, but at least some of it. He is going to do it through you. And most everyone in here is in here because of somebody else setting in here. You are the most important person in the room to somebody today. Well, I haven't brought anybody in here. No, but you're the reason that somebody comes back. Some of you stumbled into this place years ago. You didn't know anybody. And it's nerve-wracking to go to church for the first time. Dude, I remember, I said it online this week. I stayed in the foyer for the first couple weeks. I didn't want to go in. It's nerve-wracking to come into church for the first time. I don't know what to dress. I don't know how to expect. Is anybody going to like me? Do they know what I did this weekend? I don't know. And, and, and some of you are here because when you came, my mother was like overwhelmingly nice to you. And she was the only person that knew your name. And she is the most important person in this room to somebody today. You are the most important person in this room to somebody today. There's no fluff in that. You are. And God has you in the right place. Believe it or not, in the right body. At the right time around the right people because he is not bound by time. He saw where you would be. He gave you everything that you need and he set things up so that you could bring him glory. The Father has a plan for you. You won't do it forever. One day you'll leave. You're just on a mission trip. We sent 19 people to Ecuador. They came home was it last Sunday? I don't know. The last week was a year and a half long. So I, I don't even know what today is. They went for a week. They ministered to people. Some people got saved. They got to work for some church plants. They got to invite people to church. And they came home. It was just a short version of what your entire life looks like. The Father sent you on a little mission trip. It is a blip in, the, in what we call eternity. And one day you will go home, back to your father. Worship team, I want you all to go ahead and come up. Jesus said, if you have a servant and he comes in from work, you don't thank him for what you paid him to do. It's what he was supposed to do. You don't wait on him hand and foot because he did what he was supposed to do. It's a paid servant. That's a tough one. 
That's a tough one because, because I live in a world where we're supposed to treat God like the genie from Aladdin. I know I haven't been in this cave in 10,000 years, but grant me a wish. That is nowhere in the Bible. Yes, we pray for things, but we are his servant. He's not ours. And when we begin to live like that, God liberates us by giving us purpose. You get to be a part of the best work on earth, the saving of souls. Someone's eternity will be changed through what God is doing through you. Is that incredible? But I, you don't understand, I can't preach. Your every breath preaches. Your every breath Every day you preach. You have a license to speak into people's life who I cannot. I'm a preacher, so I'm an absolute alien to them. Don't want to hear what I have to say and won't listen. But you, you're just like them. You're the only sermon they're going to listen to. They're going to watch every step, hear every word. So does that mean live perfect? No, that means apologize. He said we have to finish the job. And then when we finish the job, then the servant gets to sit and eat. And see, God says that he has prepared a table for you in the presence of your enemies. He has a banquet. He said, I'm leaving you now, but I go to my father's house to prepare a place for you. Soon, we get to sit and eat. Our work will be over. But it ain't over yet. And we're gonna enjoy the process. And church, somebody in the, with the Holy Spirit be with us. We're going to reach more people. Can I get an amen? We're going to reach more people. God said that he has people here that he loves, and he's putting them on your heart right now. I can tell you right now that somebody in here says, the Holy Spirit is putting somebody on my heart. He wants you to reach out. It doesn't have to be weird. You don't have to make things odd. Invite them to church. Invite them over for dinner. At some point, God is going to set it up. He's going to give you a divine appointment if you will pray for it, and you are going to lead somebody back home to their father, and you will be the most important person in somebody's life. And just like John the Baptist, you may say, I'm here and I don't understand why I'm in prison uh, for, for a little while. I don't understand why this happened. It had, it, had to, it had to happen to me for a little while, but now I get it. Because now look whose path I'm in. Look who I'm ministering to. Look what God is using me to do. It's probably not the path you would have chosen. <laughs> Almost certainly not the path you would have chosen. But God's path works better for you. And he is telling you to stick your hand under the rock. Well, that's just a metaphor. I don't understand what it means. Somebody's on your heart. Call them. Stick your hand under the rock. 
Somebody needs to go start a church plant. Stick your hand under the rock. Somebody needs to be leading worship. Stick your hand under the rock. Somebody's got family, your spouse. You're scared to death to talk to them. Somebody needs to start a Bible study. Somebody needs to crack open their Bible. You know how hard that is, dude, when you've been living on your own? The last person I want to meet with is the Father. So you have it and you have a Bible and you took one home and you want to read it, but you just can't open the page. Stick your hand under the rock. He's got big fish for you. He's got something big for you. I've never done it before. There could be a turtle. There could. And if you come like this next week, what a story you'll have. (laughs) Stick your hand under the rock. The reward is better than the risk. I want to pray for you. Father, I know that you are moving in this place. I know that people need to uh, respond to you, Holy Spirit. I know that you are stirring hearts in this place, God. I know that I know, I know that there's some people who are in who are just tired. Absolutely, like, like physically, spiritually, emotionally tired. Didn't even know how they mustered up coming to church today. Maybe even online today. But Lord, I pray that you will refresh them, that you will revive them. God, we still have work to do. We need a Holy Spirit Red Bull today, Father. I pray that you will rekindle that fire. Blow blow air on these ambers, Father, and I pray that, that you will rekindle this. Add wood to the fire. Holy Spirit, there are some there are people who need to preach. They need to go out. God, they've got people that they need to invite. God, I pray that you will give them courage. I pray that their dinner table will be a place of ministry. I pray, I pray that work will be a place where people are getting saved. Father, empower, equip them. And we ask this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Baskets are going to come forward. Uh, part of the way that we worship is through tithe and offering. Uh, but first, we have two things. Uh, one is some baptisms. So, Dusty, I'm going to hand it over. All right. Bo, come on up. This is my friend, Bo Kaiser. He has, uh, he's decided to follow the Lord um, for a little, little while now, and now the, uh, the Holy Spirit has, has pushed him to, to go to the next step and be obedient and be baptized. Bo, have you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Yes, sir. All right. Hop in. baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried in death, raised in newness of life to walk with Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Where's Raheem? Okay. Uh, Like I said, 
baskets are going to come forward. And uh, if, if you've got anything you want to communicate with us, please uh, drop drop uh, drop something on your connection card. Uh, put that connection card in the basket. Uh, better yet, we have a prayer team. Prayer team, if you all go ahead and co- uh, come up uh, and, and sit here in the, the front row. Uh, we have people who would like to pray with you during the last song or even when service is over, if you would like to come up and pray with them. They would love... Uh, to pray with you. Love nothing more. So um, we want to be with you. We want to encourage you. We want to equip you. You are not, listen, listen, you are not the church's stepping stone to become a big church. We are your cheerleader to be a minister for the gospel where you are. And so please allow us to do that. But uh, stand and worship with us now.